0: Exact Nature loves partnering with the Sobriety Diaries because we are committed to the same goal, helping you strengthen your recovery. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural, CBD-based products help you face the challenges of sobriety head-on. Learn more at exactnature.com. And as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive 20% off. Exactnature.com. Today's episode is dedicated in loving memory to Eddie and all of our queer brothers and sisters we've lost to addiction. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic six years from my last drink. My sobriety is such a huge part of who I am. I decided that I needed to help others find their voice and share their journey too. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. Today is part one of a two-part episode with my friend Valentine Darling. Valentine and I met when we were both contributors to an online wellness and recovery conference called the Sober Voices Flow, and have kept in touch since. Valentine is a fellow podcaster and member of the queer community, and we just had such an amazing conversation, such important topics and resources that it turned into two episodes. So lucky for you. (laughs) Like I said, today is part one. Part two will be next Wednesday. And we cover topics ranging from addiction and suicide rates in the queer community, uh, this idea of being California sober, trauma in childhood, getting sober within a 12-step program, the amazing online recovery community that we have both just dove into and so much more i am so excited to share my chat with valentine so let's get into it let's open the diary on valentine darling valentine darling thanks so much for making time today how are you my friend
1: hello hello i am good It's bright and sunny today where I'm at, which is unusual. I'm jealous of that.
0: It is, uh, I think, about 20 degrees and gray and gloomy here. So I'll take some of your sunshine, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, While we were saying earlier, it's been a long time coming. And I got kind of nervous this morning, which I don't get. I think maybe just kind of like some of the lead up to it. And, you know, I know we relate on, on several levels. So I'm excited to chat today.
1: Mm, Me too. Me too. This is, this is my first time on a recovery podcast where the host is gay. So I'm like really excited about that. I love
0: it. Yeah. So we can definitely, you know, I definitely want to touch on, you know, addiction in the queer community and Mm -hmm. how, you know, you and I as, you know, advocates or, or, you know, queer individuals who are recovering out loud, what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I definitely don't take that lightly. So definitely want to get into that a little later on. But what made you decide to, quote, recover out loud or come and share your story here today?
1: So recovering out loud. Someone asked me this recently. My friend Sweet Pea was like, where does this come from? Where does this this desire to be like a public face or or you know share publicly come from and that question actually kind of took me back like i was like huh i was a little taken back by it. i i had to think about it cuz i wasn't quite sure she you know she's like are you modeling this off anyone and for me it was like it wasn't a, a question it was just what happened like when i finally got sober. So when I, f- I first tried getting sober for five years in AA, and it never worked for me and my mental health and my addiction just kept getting worse. And I, you know, almost died a couple of times. And then, but when I finally was able to come into recovery and get sober and make, you know, find what worked for me, I was, I was create, I was having to create a lot of spaces myself. I was having to find mm. a lot of tools and books that worked for me. And then I was you know, helping create meetings in my area where I lived to, so that I had spaces that felt safe for me, had spaces that we were like, you know, in community, looking into recovery wisdom. And so just from the very beginning of that, I started, you know, in leadership positions, which that's, I guess that's where that came from, Um, just being in leadership positions and, and needing there to be more spaces where my story was being shared.
0: I love that we have to trailblaze, you know, sometimes in not only the the queer community, but I think you saying a safe space is, is the most important thing. And sometimes those more traditional rooms uh, aren't necessarily the safest for people like you and I. So I love that you said that.
1: Yeah. And there can't be a safe space for everyone. You know, that's why yeah. there needs to be so many different spaces, different recovery programs, different communities is because, you know, we all need safety in different ways. And, you know, communities are going to look different, you know.
0: Well, I usually like to start with uh, when was your last drink or drug and why was it that day in particular?
1: Hmm. So this is an interesting question for me because I don't identify my recovery as like 100% abstinence from all drugs and alcohol. And that's also because my definition of drugs and alcohol is interesting. Like I consider caffeine a drug and Absolutely. I have, yeah, I have this relationship with caffeine that I can, I try not to ever really touch it, but every once in a while, I'm allowed a little bit of a caffeine, but yeah. for the most part, if I have caffeine, it causes me harm. And, but I would say the last time that I, like caused myself harm the last time that I went on like a a bender or basically benders are the main thing that my recovery, like I entered into recovery to move away from going on benders, Um, specifically benders on alcohol, benders on amphetamines and uh, benzos. Like those were the main things uh, as well as like MDMA. I mean, I did a lot of, I did a lot of drugs. Um, and the last time that happened, I was when I was in Hawaii in the pandemic. And which is so funny. It's funny, it's, it's funny for me to be like, oh, I was in Hawaii because this this was the first time I ever had money enough to like go on a vacation on my yeah. own, which I really didn't even have the money. I spent a lot of money I didn't have. <laughs> and I went there, it was supposed to be with my partner, and then things changed. And then like me and my partner were having conversations about. Breaking up, and I was going there for this photo shoot, and I basically ended up being in Hawaii very alone, in the middle of a breakup. I also was in a space that I, you know, in in an area I'd never been in before, and I've traveled a lot in my life, but I've never traveled somewhere where it's not a big city. Yeah, and so instead, I'm on this like big island where I have to rent a car and drive everywhere. I didn't know what I was doing. I had so much anxiety. And then I was kind of like stuck in my Airbnb, depressed. And I was also beating myself up because I couldn't, how like I couldn't get myself to drive across the island. You know, I got myself to do a couple of things, but I was mostly just like in this like deep sadness, wishing I had friendships and like friends or any anything, you know? Um, and so I went to a gay bar. And the first gay bar I went to, it was, I had got a sober, like a sober beer. And, you know, I was like, okay, like I can do this. And then the second, but then the second gay bar I went to, just trying to meet people that I could hang out with while I was on the island, um, I ended up getting an alcoholic beverage. And that was, I didn't like drink to excess or anything in that moment, but I, it, it was very much this like, you know, big thing for me. And it slowly progressed. So as I just fell back into old drinking patterns, I went out with these people a couple more times, and they drank quite excessively. Then I had hangovers, triggered my panic disorder, days of drinking all day long. And, you know, it, it was, yeah, just your typical relapse, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And this was at the beginning of the pandemic, you said? Yeah,
1: this is, yeah, in the in the pandemic, yeah.
0: And how long prior to Hawaii had you abstained from your benders?
1: Mm, years. It had been at least two years.
0: I wouldn't imagine that it alleviated any of, of the sadness or depression, at least maybe coming home from Hawaii, did it?
1: No, the drinking didn't help anything. I mean, the drinking, the drinking just made everything worse. And, uh, you know, I I had to like detox and feel like garbage. And um, it's funny using this toxic fucking substance as a medication. Poison, literal poison. Literal poison, literal (laughs) poison. Um, After I came back and after things with me and Casey were kind of a bit better, I did feel like I received a lot of information from that experience. Like I yeah. never look back on the experience when I have a bender and like beat myself up over it. It's more like the thing I was beating myself up over is that I traveled and I wasn't good at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But the, but the bender itself was like, okay, what can, what information can I get from this? Like what led to this? What cause this and how can I protect myself in the future? What didn't I do that I could have done? And I, you know, I I felt I I always feel a bit stronger after that, you know, especially when I when it seems very clear to me like what exactly was happening and what I could have done differently. Of course. Yeah. I mean if we don't learn and
0: and you know utilize that to prevent it from happening or utilize (laughs) you know, the life lesson that perhaps we take away, what's it all for, right? So let's talk a little bit about uh, what led up to um, not only Hawaii, but I guess since relapse is a part of your story, uh, a bit of your journey leading up to that as well.
1: And it's funny, I instantly think of the book, The Biology of Desire, because I just finished reading it. And uh, I'm, I'm writing it down. Okay. Yeah. The biology of desire describes the exact science of what is happening in your body and in your brain when you become addicted. Um, and so as you ask, like what led up to it, I'm just like thinking about my experience and thinking about all of the stuff that, that happened science scientifically, yeah. um, for me to become addicted. And I mean, there's so many, there's so many, things that were all happening at once right that really led me into my addiction there was a history of childhood trauma um there was a history of you know living in a society where binge drinking and drinking was accessible and you know normalized uh there is also the people that i was around the people the community and culture that i was in um i had i had a multiple experiences with addiction like the first experience i had with addiction i was like like 16 years old 16 to like 20 um i got involved in the rave scene and the rave scene was the first scene where i felt like seen and i felt like accepted and you know the rave scene had a lot of drugs and i discovered ecstasy and having had so much trauma in my life and so much anxiety and depression, ecstasy was like lifted that away. And I was able to like socialize and kind of witness this potential within myself that I didn't know that I, that I had And without the ecstasy. And, you know, years into doing that every weekend, it was sucking up my mental health more. And I was recognizing that I couldn't not do it every weekend. And so I had to move away from that community completely. Um, but I still look back on that time. There is, there, there's a lot of me that I am able to witness now that I'm able to access sober that I got to witness during that time because of ecstasy, if that makes sense. So, um, But I was able to move away from that without any special program or recovery program. But uh, I did get involved in uh, meditation and Buddhism. And that was super helpful for me to kind of like learn how, like without ecstasy, learn how to like tap into my like peaceful self, tap into a sense of inner calmness and start healing the childhood trauma, start healing the anxiety and depression, and uh, that lasted for a couple of years, and meditation was like so huge for that, and, and starting that healing journey, but then I got involved in a kind of like an alternative, queer, like hipster bar scene in Seattle when I turned 21. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I love dancing. So I was like, Oh, it has dancing. It has attractive people. Everyone had really good style. And I also like felt attractive for the first time. I've never, I never felt attractive. I'd always felt like this, like, just like this weird gangly creature. And I felt like I was lusted after and I made really close friends in this community um, one of them, you know, became like a, a lover and a best friend, just like my writer die. And I remember trying to teach him how to meditate and <laughs> he was, he just wasn't into it. I just remember him being like, he's like, all I see is knives everywhere, <laughs> which that should have been maybe a red flag. Maybe. But, yeah. But th- I think that was like the last time I meditated for many years was I just, I, you know, and I really just became maybe overly enmeshed with him. He was a little bit older, very successful, had really good style, had money, um, and I just wanted to be him.
0: All of the attractive things that,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, we can get caught up in, right? One hundred percent. And so I just was like, okay, well, I kind of if if all of these people in this community don't have to. Meditate every day to function, then why should I? So instead, I just, you know, went and excessively drank with them multiple days a week and felt beautiful and had a lot of sex. And, you know, that can't blame you. Yeah. It was, (laughs) it it was fun. It was fun. But um, as they explain in the biology of desire, it was this repetition, right?
0: Yeah. This,
1: This repetition of, of using alcohol, like almost daily, multiple times a week. And then it led to being my main coping mechanism. I, I stopped having meditation as my coping mechanism. My coping mechanism became drinking wine. And, you know, my friend Brian, who was the person that I really looked up to, like, yeah, his main coping mechanism was alcohol. And then he kind of moved away suddenly after years of us being like a and what I remember from that was just suddenly like he was gone and I was left with nothing but really terrible drinking habits and like the most soul crushing, like abandonment that I Mm -hmm. had not felt since I was a child. And I really think that, I mean, that, that trauma definitely triggered a lot of the trauma that I experienced as a child. You know, I, I, experience a lot of abuse and neglect and trauma as a child from my my parents and family and other adults in my life. And so having this happen again, this is abandonment um, was, yeah, I, I, I really do think that's where my uh, addiction to alcohol, like, not that I was using it, pr- like, in a healthy way quote unquote healthy way before but yeah. it was like this is where it got really really bad this is where it started destroying everything around me where i started uh like dropping out of school and um just living off of the money that i made selling drugs and not being able to leave my room for days and uh and it would get it would get better and then it would get worse and then it would get a little better and then it get worse and then eventually it got so bad that I had to, you know, I was just in my room for days and lost like my housing and lost any any source of income and I, yeah, got kicked out of my house and uh, had to enter into rehab. I relate to that with my
0: addiction to alcohol, wine specifically mm. as well. But at the time, it were I mean, it's weird to say, but it almost Saved my life at the time. It worked for me Hmm. for a moment in time where I was able to function. You know, I was able to quiet the craziness in my head. I was able to use it to interact with people. I was able to use it to. To go to work or accomplish things until it stopped working, right? Until I started yeah. abusing it, until mm-hmm. this poison, as we said, really
1: took over my body. In Tempest, they talk about the biopsychosocial model of addiction. So there's like there's our our vulnerabilities, right? And our like traumas and the, the reason that we the reasons that we drink, right? And then we drink to, you know, ease those vulnerabilities and ease those traumas and uh, get away from the, the things that make us vulnerable, but then overall by the the like long-term use of that substance as a coping mechanism then goes back and it makes all of those vulnerabilities worse. So true. It's like this, it's just a spiral. Yeah. Vicious cycle. And so, yeah. So then for me, it's like recovery has been this focus on, Those vulnerabilities? Like, what are the things that make me vulnerable? What are the reasons that were underneath that I was trying to move away from? You
0: said something about AA originally. And, Hmm. you know, I started my recovery journey in the rooms, you know, since, of course, have found this amazing online recovery community and these fellow podcasters and recovery podcasts that helped me so much in this recovery literature and, you know, meditation and, and different things that I do to work on myself and mm-hmm. love, love AA and what it stands for and the program. And I think that it, it does a lot of amazing things, but I, you know, have, have since sort of veered to us who mm-hmm. Uh, rely more on the sort of sober online community and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the support, for the guidance, for the direction. And maybe we can touch on on some thoughts or reasons why you think that the program didn't work for you.
1: Yeah. Oh, and there's a lot I can unpack here. I mean, yeah. after trying to make it work for me for a really long time, I have a lot of religious trauma. I was you know, abused within the church as a child. And so coming into a program where they're just, even the language that they're using to describe everything is, is language that's directly from Christian church, you know, like even the word fellowship, you know, all of the different language that they're using is, is language coming from the Christian church. And it's, it's based on Christianity. It's, it's based AA is based on the idea that through confession comes change yeah. and using a higher power, you know, helps you heal. And, and that's all beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. But I had this religious trauma and this was not like praying the gay away was something that I tried to do as a child. And I was not going to try. I, but praying the sobriety way also did not work. But what is more interesting to me now to think about is how another aspect that wasn't working for me was this, because I found this in more than one recovery program, is the singular approach to recovery, a singular approach to wisdom. And, you know, when I when I came into recovery, I you know, I had a really open mind, but I kind of had to close it a little bit for a while because I was, you know, terrified and I needed to just, I needed to figure out what to do next to not end up dying, you know, not to go on a bender and try to commit suicide again. Yeah. Um. And so, but then, you know, so I, I tried different recovery programs out and I just, I, you know, I gave it my all. um. But then, you know, and this became like my spiritual quest, right. when I say spiritual, I mean like this became like a journey of self-development and I didn't really stop with one recovery program um, because what I needed wasn't, didn't exist in just one. And I, I, and I found when I went to AA and when I went to Buddhist recovery uh, m- there's many different Buddhist recovery programs, but they're very similar to A in the sense that their wisdom all comes from a singular source. You know, AA has their, their approved literature. And so their wisdom is all coming from this one place. And in Buddhist recovery, it's their, their wisdom is coming from but Buddhism is beautiful and vast, and I love it. And it's helped me so much. And it's helped me heal and, I, you know, I give it so much credit, you know, and, but I, I found myself stuck because there was more growth that I needed and I was not going to find it within this one recovery program. And, and I Mm -hmm. saw this like binary suddenly I was like, Oh, well, like in my life now, there's 12 steps and there's Buddhism. And I, really didn't like that binary. I, you know, I don't, I didn't like it when there was just a singularity. And then I, I also didn't like it when there's a binary. Cause if you think about binary, it's like binary thinking is this idea that there's good and there's bad. And there is, there is right and wrong. There is male and female. There is heaven or hell. And like, those aren't really choices that's right. still like confining you into a box. And so I kind of I kept exploring. I kept exploring to see what the fuck else was out there. Like <laughs> yes. there, I was like, there must be more. There must be. Yeah. And so I've actually been directly a part of at least eight or more recovery programs now. And I've I get so much more wisdom out of out of each one that I'm that I explore. And that's a part of what I'm doing for Recovery Disco, is I just want to go and explore all the different communities and recovery programs out there and, and then share about them so that to help make it more accessible to people. So not they don't end up having to be like me where, you know, they feel stuck and only have like, you know, limited resources. Cause I, it took me a long time to find all of the recovery programs out there. So I'm just kind of on this journey to keep sharing them. I love that. So since I'm glad you
0: brought it up, is, is that the focus of your podcast Recovery Disco, sort of exploring these different programs and different means to recovery?
1: Yeah, and it's 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 also like exploring recovery in this like larger sense, right? That, that we're, recovery from addiction, we don't own the term recovery. Like we, like people are in recovery from trauma. People are in recovery from religious trauma. People are in recovery from the gender binary. They're in recovery from abusive relationships. They're in recovery from disordered eating. They're, there's just, there's so much out there that people are in recovery from. And, and when I think of the term recovery, I think of, you know, I think of recovery as this alternative way of living where we need to center healing and community. And so I like to, in my podcast, explore not only like addiction recovery communities, but also the experiences of people in different forms of recovery and what we can learn from that and how we can be more open and inclusive. Because I do find in recovery, there tends to be this kind of like Oh, you can't sit at our table. Like y- your recovery is different from our recovery, so you can't sit at our table. And I wanna, I wanna let go of that yes. kind of that puritanical idea about recovery and see how we can actually listen to each other and hold space for each other, so no one is being isolated outside of different recovery communities because their recovery is different. Everyone can find their own
0: path to recovery, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you speaking and exploring these different journeys and paths is is beautiful. But I think that, you know, there seems to be one constant, and that is the community. And mm-hmm. if you are able to surround yourself with like-minded individuals and, you know, people who share, you know, perhaps the lived experience, I think... Uh, that seems to be uh, a constant, you know, at least with most uh, alcoholics that I speak to. So, there there are there are many ways to get there, but but I think community is a, a large part of a lot of them.
1: And I would say it goes even further than people needing to have the same experience or even be super like minded. It's just like people that are safe to be around are people that honor and respect your recovery and they honor and respect what you tell them because I am in recovery communities where our, all of our recoveries are so vastly different. Like we're doing it in very different ways. We have different relationships with different substances, but like the, but the important thing is that we all honor and respect each other's recovery, you know? And so like, I have this relationship with caffeine where I can only have very little sometimes, but mostly I just stay away from it from it completely. But I don't, you know, I can have friends with people that drink caffeine. Yeah. Uh, I don't have friends with people that try to force caffeine on me or tell me that I need to drink caffeine or, or belittle my experience with caffeine. There are communities where people are, you know, when, when someone's trying to tell, if someone's sober from alcohol and someone's telling you that, you know, you should be able to moderate, that's fucked up. Yeah. Um, I, there's a lot of talk, I think in sober communities against moderation these days. And I understand it, I understand it from a place of like having tried to moderate and not working and almost dying from trying to force moderation to work for you. Um, but then what I think is getting left out is that just because someone moderates or just because someone is Cali sober, that doesn't mean that that has to work for you as well and just because it didn't work for you doesn't mean you have to invalidate someone else's experience part of what inspired me to talk to you about this today was i've been seeing these i've been seeing this for a long time but it's just starting to really get to me like when i go into a a recovery forum or a facebook group and i see people asking questions like like if i a piece of tiramisu cake, like, do I have to restart my recovery date? Yeah. Or if I have a kombucha, am I cheating my recovery? Or if I have a non-alcoholic beer, am I cheating my recovery? And this, I, it's just it, like, after seeing this for so long, I'm starting to realize like why this makes me really uncomfortable. And there's a couple reasons why it makes me re- uncomfortable. Um, First, I mean, it's so related to like toxic diet culture. Like, am I cheating in my recovery, right? And and it's also this focus on your recovery being centered around external validation. Mm. You're not listening to whether or not this is going to be okay for you in your recovery. You're specifically asking if you will still be seen as like perfect and pure in your recovery in somebody else's eyes you know, not your own. And I think the real question here should be that, like, is this going to cause me harm? Is this piece of tiramisu going to trigger me to cause myself harm? Is this kombucha going to trigger me to cause myself harm? Yeah. Um, is this non-alcoholic beer going to make me crave real beer? Or is it going to, Or is it going to help me heal? Is it going to make me feel more comfortable in this moment and make me actually not want or need another beer? Um, And I know people that are triggered by kombucha. I know people that are triggered by tiramisu. I know people that are triggered by mocktails, but I also know so many people that are not triggered by these things and they're so helpful. And I think that it should be more individualized. We shouldn't be looking We shouldn't always be looking outward. I think that external wisdom and internal wisdom should be seen as like equally important.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah, and it's almost like the intention behind it. You know, Mm -hmm. are you drinking this N.A. beer to kickstart a bender, or are, is it going to satisfy this craving that you have? So you know, it, it's it's can totally be a personalized experience, and you know, I think it speaks to this sort of culture that we've developed, where external validation is more important to us than than the internal, and and that's it's sad in a way.
1: Yeah, and I think I also relate to this because very my my recovery and even other parts of myself were very much based on purity for a while for quite a while in my like i i was vegetarian for a long time because of my relationship with buddhism and uh and vegan at times as well and then when i was in recovery it was you know very much uh black and white for a long time i was you know i didn't I didn't see any wiggle room in recovery or or it's like you know for me it was it was like reco- uh sobriety is defined as sober from all substances except for caffeine and nicotine you know <laughs> and that and this is like a definition somebody else created yeah uh but this was this was what became my you know my mantra for recovering for sobriety and then I had my partner uh who has had really, you know, uh, treatment-resistant depression for a really long time, and you know he had a his he got sober a year into our relationship, and um, but his depression kept you know has has been really bad for many years, and and it would get really bad, and sometimes you would talk about marijuana, and I would always be like no 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 like. I wouldn't listen to that as if that was his intuition, maybe saying this might be helpful. It was more like, oh, you're having a craving. Like, what else can we do? Let's meditate. Yeah. Um, And then one day I, one day I like really heard him and I was like, oh, like, do you think this would be helpful? He had a little bit and it shook him out of his depression and it was just really powerful to see. And I was like, oh, Okay. There is some truth to the idea that there is this plant medicine, right? For sure, yeah. And, and that it can, for some people, have medicinal value and act in a healing way.
0: Stay tuned for part two of my chat with Valentine Darling next Wednesday, same time, same place. We dive in a little bit more to addiction in the queer community and what a beautiful life in recovery can look like. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check out today's show notes for all of the information on today's episode and how to connect with our guest. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on instagram at the sobriety diaries pod check back every wednesday for new episodes with new stories to tell but until then try your best not to drink and be good to yourself bye friends